Today is Palm Sunday. Now, you know, we have been uh, talking about faith and belief for the last several weeks, and uh, we're going to continue to do that. Today, we're going to um, do something seasonal, okay? And what we're going to do seasonally is um, today and next week, we're going to be looking at um, today, Palm Sunday, and next Sunday, Easter, because this is the, this is the season of year that we as believers celebrate. The passion of Jesus. And um, we don't fully understand everything Jesus went through, everything he experienced he did. We don't, we don't really understand thoroughly, you know, the, go- the gospel uh, as it tries to describe what Jesus went through. It's just not humanly possible to even fathom all that. It's just, it just, it can't be fathomed. But one day... We'll enjoy the full benefits of what he did. We'll actually realize those things and be in his presence and enjoying it. But um, while we're in this life, we're going, to, we're going to go ahead and learn. And he's good to mature us and he's good to help us and give us revelation on different things so that we can begin enjoying, enjoying him now. And so part of the challenge of life is to enjoy Jesus now. But sometimes stuff gets in the way. And I think God, he recognizes that, and we recognize that too. Today we want to concentrate, and we'll just take a look at some of the things he did. Even though we can't fully imagine them and comprehend them, we're going to start looking at some of the things he did and experienced and uh, the situation concerning his entry into Jerusalem and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Now, um, (laughs) I really enjoy the Lord and the Holy Spirit sometimes more than others. But one of the times, one of the special joys I have is reading Scripture and God showed me something He's never shown me before. For example, and you've had that experience too. Have you ever read the Bible and all of a sudden uh, you're reading a chapter or a passage, a text, if you would, just somewhere in the Bible, and you say, oh my goodness, I've never read that before. They just put that in there. It says total, catches you by total surprise. See, that's what the Lord likes to do. And so one of the things I enjoy about studying and about speaking is that he's continually showing me stuff I didn't know. And I learned, listen, I learned a couple things this week. And I read some stuff in the scripture I'd never seen before concerning Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And so we're going to look at the scripture today from where Jesus uh, began to enter Jerusalem, looking at probably the final 72 hours of his life. Okay, we're going to read a passage here, and, 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 and his entry into Jerusalem is contained uh, in all four of the Gospels. I'm going to use Matthew 21, 11 through 12 to start with, and I'm going to be making um, reference to some stuff in the other Gospels too. We may not go there and read them, but... I'm going to mention them, okay? And so they're there. You can look at them, and you can explore it and see for yourself um, what's contained in the Word. Anyway, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. I'm reading from the New King James today. Um, Just, I guess, because that's kind of what popped up in my, my thing here. But anyway... But there is some things I want to say about the New King James Version and some of those particular words that's used. Saying unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And this was all done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coal, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did what Jesus commanded them. Now, the scripture says, as Jesus was going into Jerusalem, as he was headed toward Jerusalem, that he gave this instruction to his disciples. And he gave this instruction, and they went and found this, this, this mama and her baby, colt, donkey, whatever you want to call them, donkey, and brought them to Jesus. And Jesus actually rode 
into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, when our children, when we lived in Macon, uh, my wife carried our children one, was it a Saturday to go see the Donut Man over at Ingleside Baptist Church? And there's a little song, and they were just little kids, and there's this little song that they sang. Uh, not only the Donut Man sang it, but it was the Donut Man, I think, that sang it. What, do you remember the words of that song about uh, Hosanna? Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna is his name. Or Hosanna to his name. Hosanna to the king. That's what it was. And the question was asked. Uh, a little bit later we read where this little kid exclaimed to his parents that he knew the name of the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on. He said, really, what was that? And the little kid replied, his name was Hosanna. His name was Hosanna. Now, what's all this about? Well, it's about this, begin with. It's about Jesus' um, mission was to fulfill prophecy. And there was a prophecy in the Old Testament, I think it's in Zechariah, that said that he would ride into Jerusalem and that he would be on a donkey and that's what Jesus did. Now, what's, about, what's, the, what's the thing about a donkey? Well, a donkey is an animal of peace. Represents humility. Represents meekness. And so we have, we have a king as, as, as Jesus is coming in to save us. As he's coming to, to, um, to perform the ultimate sacrifice. He doesn't, he doesn't come in with an attitude that he's better than anybody else, that he's above anybody else. He recognizes his position as king because that's the, the role, that is his destiny. That's what he covenanted with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to do. But he didn't come in with an attitude. He came in peacefully, meekly, lowly. He didn't come in with a sword drawn, threatening Whatever. He, he came in meek and lowly, and he's leaving us an example. That is, and as you and I, as, as we go into warfare, and as we approach situations and circumstances and things in our life that's just almost beyond the pale of our ability to even be able to approach, the way we go through life is with humility and sense of servanthood. You see, that's, 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 the, that's the dominant flow of our posture that we need to have. Because Jesus in the scriptures said that uh, he would exalt those who were humble in due time. And so humility, peacefulness, and meekness are chief characteristics of what God wants us to demonstrate as we go through the life. And we need to remember that. So as Jesus goes into here, there are people that begin to do particular things. I'll just go ahead and kind of wade out into this. The scriptures record, if you read the four gospel accounts, it's recorded differently and in different ways. But people did two things. The little children primarily began to cry out something. They cried out, Hosanna. And there were some who said, Behold, your king comes. And others cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they began to do particular things. They reached up and pulled off palm branches. And as Jesus got on the donkey, they would take these palm branches and they threw it down before him. Okay, Kind of like this. And by the way, this is not a real palm, palm leaf. It's a Sega palm leaf, palmetta, sal palmetta, okay? So we're going to use this as representative of what they would have used. And by the way, these things are sticky, and they hurt your hands, and definitely don't tickle. So anyway, they strung the way before him with this stuff. And the scripture also declares... Hold this, babe. Oh, babe is my wife, by the way. And they were other people. As Jesus, now, now here's the thing. As Jesus was approaching, 
going into Jerusalem. People were, I guess you could say, generally excited about what they were going to do in Jerusalem. They were going for the Passover. It was one of the three times on the Jewish calendar where adult males were required to go. And so one of these times was at Passover. Everybody went to Jerusalem. And so it was like a, it was like a, it was a pilgrimage. To some people, it was sort of like a vacation. It was an outing. It was an adventure, especially if you were little kids. I can imagine my little grandchildren, um, how excited they would have been to go to Jerusalem from somewhere, wherever they live. It would be like one of your kids, y'all getting up in the car and going to the beach or to the mountains. You know, it's, it's, it's different. It's scenic. You're seeing stuff you've never seen before. Multitudes and crowds. There's, there's a degree of excitement, generally. But as this day dawned and as all the events were about to come together to culminate in Jesus' actually going into Jerusalem, as, as there was a sense of, of, of regular, normal, expected, um, or to be expected excitement in the air, there was also something else afoot. And what was afoot was the eternal plan of God. And so as Jesus stopped, as he paused, and he called for the donkey and the donkey's colt, and as disciples went to do it, the scripture records, the disciples didn't know what was going on. And Jesus told them, if you go to get this colt and, and, uh, this colt and its mom, uh, and somebody asks you what you're doing, just tell them I have need of it. And so lo and behold, they went into the village, and they found there a colt tied, and they just walked up to it and untied it. It would be the equivalent today of you going to Walmart and getting somebody's car that, that belonged to you. That's the equivalent. It was the means of transportation. How would you feel doing that? How would you feel if I told you, go to Walmart, and there's this car, there's this blue car. I could describe it to you. It's parked so-and-so and so-and-so. You pick, you, you go, and you get the keys are in it, you go and get it and bring it back to me. And if anybody asks you what you get in the car for, just tell them that Keith has need of it. How would you, would you be very comfortable? You know, what they, you, know, you know what they would do back then to people who just picked up stuff that didn't belong to them? They were called what? A thief. Same way today. So here they go. They don't know why they're going. The scripture plainly declares they didn't understand. So they go and they untie this colt and lo and behold, somebody calls their hand at it. What are you doing? Their response was, the master has need of it or the Lord has need of it. And you know what? That's all it took. All of a sudden, the people who made inquiry about why they were stealing this donkey and the colt, their, their curiosity or their question was answered and they were happy with it. That's what the word of the Lord does, people. When you're operating based on what the Lord says and you declare what the Lord says to those um, in your situation or your circumstance around, you begin to declare. All of a sudden, if you declare the word, you declare the truth, and you're obedient to what Jesus said, it's all going to work out okay. But the disciples didn't understand this, this whole thing. This is one of the mysteries. I mean, the disciples didn't understand this whole thing about what Jesus was doing. But as all these events came together, not only was there an air of excitement, but there was, a, there was something added to it, and that was the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because when, when prophecy begins to be fulfilled and when folks are obedient and they do what Jesus said and the results began to transpire in, in sort of a supernatural way, there was this, there was, there was a, um, how could we put this that we could understand? All of a sudden, the environment went from excited and anticipatory and expected. It, it exploded and, and opened up the realm of the supernatural. And there was an anointing that went along with it that the children picked up on. The children in particular. But there was an anointing that came and the kids began to take the palm branches and lay in front of Jesus as he came on this donkey going toward Jerusalem. And they began to say, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means save now. 
And in the development of that word, as, as, as you, if, if you really looked at it, it also it says, deliver now. And the third thing, it says, victory now. And so as the children began to cry, Hosanna, it was an exclamation to all who could hear, to be saved now, to be delivered now, to gain victory now. And the same word is being echoed from glory and heaven today, Hosanna. In other words, the environment is set. God is present. Everything you need is set in motion. Seize it now. Seize it now. Why? Because your king is coming. And here today, I can declare to you based on everything I know and everything the scripture says, I'm telling you, seize the moment today for whatever you need. If you need salvation, seize that today. It is available. The environment has gone in your life from just something ordinary, something Sunday, or maybe something excited or anticipatory. It's moving beyond that. And the things you stand in need of today, Jesus is saying, take access of it now. I don't know about you, that makes me feel real good. Knowing that heaven has, has transitioned the environment that I live in from the, from the ordinary, maybe to the excited. I was excited about coming here today to share with you the word and to share worship and uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. I was excited about that. But I believe there's, there's a transition that has been made into the supernatural. Something beyond anything that could be de deemed excitement or anything. There's, there's, there's an opening. There's a heaven. There's a glory. And the children picked up on it. Remember, the disciples didn't know. <laughs> they were clueless. But the kids picked up on it. That's why it's important. And I'm just going to make this. I, I, I can't go beyond this moment without saying this. That's why we can't neglect and we can't downplay and we can't patronize the little kids because they're sensitive to, sensitive to this in more ways than we are because they don't have the filters that we get as we grow and as we uh, go through life. They don't have those. And so the kids understood about this. Then some of the adults in the other gospel accounts say this, that the crowd began to say, behold, your king comes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it says that the adults, what they did, is they began to take their clothes off. Now you listen to me. This is important. Here's what happened. The adults began to lay their coats and their cloaks down, added it to the palm branches, and they placed these things in front of Jesus, and Jesus' road was marked with the palm branches and the outer garments of the people who were along the way where he was going. And Jesus actually rode the donkey over all that stuff. Well, what does that mean? Well, in contemporary times, uh, we could say this. Uh, they were preparing the way of the Lord, okay? They were, you know, we, you've seen or you've heard this before. Maybe you've seen in an old movie, a black and white, where uh, this guy, there's this puddle, and this lady in a long dress has got this little umbrella, and she's dressed up with these big old hoop dresses, and she's trying to cross the street, and there's a little mud hole, a mud puddle or a something, and this guy, in a chivalrous attitude, posture, takes his coat off, and he lays it down in front of the lady, an act of chivalry. We're accustomed to that. You know, we, know what that we know what that means and represents, especially those of us from the South. I mean, you know, we're, we're notorious for our manners and such. Well, when they did this, there's something else at work. Because the kids took the leaves of the trees, and the adults, the men would take their coat and their cloaks off, and they would lay it down. They would take off their out, outer coverings of clothes, laid it down, and let Jesus walk on it. And it was symbolic of people having a submissive attitude toward him and recognize, honoring him, okay? It was a thing of honor. It was a thing of respect. It was all that stuff. But there's something else going on about this too. Because whenever the kids expressed Hosanna, 
that was a messianic reference pointing toward Messiah. And everybody who lived in Jesus' day and age, when they heard the word Hosanna, Hosanna, talking about, and they would talk about the King of David, and they would talk about the King David and all these other things, as they said Hosanna, and as they used that, everybody just, everything registered mentally and emotionally that what they were talking about, that was a messianic phrase, okay? That was a mess messianic salutation. And so the children, as they were saying Hosanna, and as Jesus was coming on this, this trail of stuff, all of a sudden people that were on the periphery understood and knew that the kids' voices, the men's voices, the actions of putting this stuff in front of Jesus was pointing all men's attention within earshot that day that Jesus was Messiah. In other words, He was the Savior. Now, I think it is in um, John's account of this. Oh, yeah, here you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to read this to you. John 12. <laughs> as, as, as this anointing and as this open door happened and as, this, as, as heaven began to touch earth, the scripture records that people began to go forward in every single direction and began to proclaim and to shout and to point that Jesus was Messiah. That's exactly what was happening. <laughs> and as they did this, there was one particular group that's noted in John's gospel, one particular group who sort of uh, was at the forefront of going before Jesus and proclaiming him to be king and Messiah. Watch this. Verse 17, therefore the people who were with him, that's Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this the people also met him because they heard the things he had done, this sign. So as Jesus, here's the timing of the Lord for you, of God. When Jesus began to hit the road and go into Jerusalem on this donkey in a fulfillment of prophecy and this door for the supernatural opening, guess who was the first group of people who recognized, other than the children, that something was up? Recognized that something supernatural was happening. Recognized that something in eternity was going on. There was a reason for this special thing. It was the bunch who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and here's my point I want to make at this juncture. Once you have been privileged to see the supernatural at work, once you have been in that particular place, in that particular anointing, once, you, once you've been saturated by that, you can then recognize it anywhere else you go, and you know the real deal when it comes. And so these people who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and had, been, and had been telling people about it, as they recognized this visitation, so to speak, or this open window or this supernatural environment, they began to anticipate something real cool was going to happen. Jesus was going to be at the center of it. And they may have not known what it was, but they knew it had something to do with the resurrection of the dead and the power from heaven that unleashes the capacity to raise things from deadness to life. And they went about telling people. It was the people who knew what the supernatural was all about. Now I'm going to tell you, listen to me. You need to tell people about the supernatural events in your life. You need to be a witness. It said they bore witness. In other words, they told people and they wouldn't shut up. They testified to what God did and how he did it and how wonderful it was. You could not contain them. And they never forgot what Jesus did in the graveyard that day. And I want to encourage you, never forget what Jesus does in your life any day. Never forget about what he does in your presence. Never forget about when heaven comes down. Never forget about the anointing because Jesus is going to use that to point people to him. See, that's the way that works. And so it was the Lazarus crowd. <laughs> Maybe that'd be a good name for a church, the Lazarus bunch. Yeah, I don't know. La Lazarus ministry. I don't know. 
Anyway, it would point to something. It'd be a real cool conversation starter now, wouldn't it? But if you begin to call yourself by that, you better be doing that. Okay? Now, here's something else cool about this whole instance and this whole affair. And this is it. The kids took out the palm branches. Maybe some adults did too, but it was a lot of the kids. They strode them in front of Jesus. The adults took off their clothes. What happens? Those of you who are raised on a farm, maybe you've cut down trees and stuff. Maybe you've been involved in logging. I know Wayne's daddy was a logger. Wayne, how many times have you seen your daddy and his crew take a tree and, and delimb it? You take the limbs off of it. What, what, what would be a way to describe a tree with the leaves off of it? Just Wayne can answer or you could answer. What, what would... What if you, if you remove the leaves and the branches from a tree, what's got left? Huh? What? This strip. There's another word for strip. What is it? Bare. Naked. You see, the leaves does more on a tree than just provide uh, uh, the capacity for photosynthesis and, and the production of, of chlorophyll and keeps the tree healthy. It, it, it provides shade under the ground, but it also provides protection for the tree itself. It keeps the tree from being exposed to everything that nature can throw at it. And so when you take the leaves off a tree, all of a sudden it becomes naked and exposed. Without being vulgar, what happens when you take your clothes off? You become naked and exposed. Now, they didn't strip down to their underwear, okay? But they did take off their outer coverings. They did take off their coats and their outer garments. Now, <laughs> I'm sure that the religious crowd didn't mind the kids putting palm trees down. They didn't care much about a naked tree. But when you start taking off your garments, your clothes, your outer layer of clothing and start putting it down, somebody's going to say something. What are they doing? What in the... I wish I had a Ray Stevens voice. What in the world are you doing, Ethel? You know? What do those people think they are doing out there anyway? And that's exactly what happened. Because as the Lazarus crowd went forward proclaiming what they had seen and done and that something was about to happen. And as Jesus had got on that colt and on that donkey and began to ride through pulling that colt behind him, going into Jerusalem. And as this atmosphere had developed, it soon got the attention of the Pharisees and the family of the high priest. And I think it was in John's account, it could have been Mark, their account of, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It could have been there. They had a quick council. Here it is right here. Verse, verse 19, John 12. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Two sentences. Two sentences. The Pharisees actually, in this first sentence, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Do you know who they were talking about? Do you know who they were speaking to? They were speaking directly to the high priest and his family who had convened in the chapter before and conspired a plan to get Jesus. And the high priest had pretty much assured them in John 11, we're going to take care of this, Jesus. Don't worry about it. Now, when Jesus comes in on the scene and this great happening is occurring on the road there, the Pharisees hear about it and now the high priest hadn't done anything yet and so they confront the high priest and the family of the high priest and this is what they say. You see, you have accomplished nothing. See, all the demons in hell now was beginning to stir things up to another level. 
the Pharisees were beginning to bite and devour one another. They were turning on the high priest. You have done nothing. You said you were going to get rid of this Jesus. You said you were going to take care of it. You're not doing anything. And then the next statement was this. Look, the whole world has gone after him. <laughs> and what they were saying there to the high priest is, we're losing control. Everybody in the whole world now is going after Jesus. You said you were going to take care of it. It's completely out of hand now. It's almost like there's nothing you can do. Of course, we know they did do something the next day. But the Pharisees didn't know that they were making uh, a prophetic declaration now, were they? Look, the whole world has gone after him. And today, we know that the world has gone after Jesus. People in every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, people who were born all over the earth and in every age, every century, every decade, every year, every day, every moment, people are going after Jesus. They didn't know that they were making a prophetic declaration of what exactly was happening because of what Jesus was about to do. Isn't it cool how God works? I'm telling you, when you begin to read the Gospels, God's cool. Now let's get back to these palm branches and coats and stuff for just a minute. And this is one of the two things I want to really bring home to you. And I'll do it really quietly. When a person gets to the place where they've encountered Jesus, when they've begun to discern his passion, when heaven opens up and glory begins to reveal itself, There's going to be a reaction one of two ways. It's going to be like the Pharisees or it's going to be like the people along the way. The correct response is to begin to take off everything on the outside. All the facade, all the pretense, all the make-believe, all of the cover-up, all of the sin, everything. Begin to take all that stuff on the outside off and lay it before him. Just lay all it down right before him. Lord, here's my sin. Here's my disappointment. Here's my shame. I can't do anything about it. I've tried to work it out and nothing works for me. I've tried to hide it by career and family. I've tried to hide it by a cute little smile, but cute little smile's not working anymore. I've even tried to hide it by money. I've occupied myself with all kinds of things that could bring me joy and entertainment to fill this void in my life. But I realize now, God, I can't do anything, I can't do anything with it. And the glory of heaven then begins to come, and that person just begins to take everything off and become naked before the Lord. You see, when you become naked before the Lord, when you even take everything off and lay it down and let him just trample on it and press it into the dust, that's the moment of liberty and freedom. That's Hosanna. That's Hosanna. That's, that's what that is. That's deliverance now. That's salvation now. Something I couldn't do for myself. That's salvation now. That is, that, that, is, that is victory now because of what Jesus is doing. I can have victory now. I don't have to wait to a point in time out there. I have victory now. I have salvation now. I have deliverance now. I have been made the beneficiary of this journey that Jesus went on. See, that's what happens Take all the stuff on the outside off and lay it down for Jesus. That's what he's, that's what he's, that's what he's offering to, to the world. That's what he's offered us who've been saved. He's offering all this stuff. My question is, why not now? You know, why, why would you have to wait to tomorrow to be saved? Why can't you do it today? Why would you wait for tomorrow to be delivered? Why don't you be delivered now? Why do, why do you wait for tomorrow to have victory? Why do you wait to the next sentence? Go ahead and have it now. Just lay all that stuff down that you've tried to do and failed at. You can't get it done, and everything's a futile effort. Just lay it all down and let Jesus walk all over it. That's what the, that's what the taking off of the clothes means, or at least to me. What about these palm branch things? Well, uh, there's two things represented between the coat and the palm branches. The coat represents humanity. 
The palm branches represent creation. At the very core of who we are. And at the very core of this creation that God spoke into existence lies a principle. The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. I'm not a tree hugger. Okay? But I'll tell you right now, there is a glory of the Lord that's displayed in the natural beauty of this creation. There is, there is, nothing, there is nothing like this little speck in the universe and, and the creative glory that God has placed on us. You know, they've never, they've got all kind of Hubble telescopes. They know the universe is moving and expanding at a rapid race. They understand all that. But you know what? In all of their technology and all of the science and all of the years of exploration and looking into space, peering out, they have yet to find one single speck in the universe or galaxy that's like Earth. For that reason and for that reason alone, I can truthfully say and believe with all my heart that there's a God and there is a creator because if, if there was not purposeful creation, then everything out there would look just like us. But there is, behind everything that is in nature, there is, there is a, when you get down to the nakedness of it, it declares the glory of the Lord. In everything in humankind, when humankind begins to lay stuff down at the feet of Jesus, it declares the glory of the Lord. That's what the, that's what the clothes and that's what the palm trees mean to me. It may not mean that to you, but I got a clear message on that today, this morning. Got up and read this and I said, wow. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Now I've just got one final thing to say today. And I'm going to wrap this up. And it's 11.15. Wow, miracles never cease to happen, do they? <laughs> the second thing, th this was a dramatic thing to me this morning. The second dramatic thing that happened this morning is where, let me find this right quick, okay? Oh, well, give me just a second. I'll just hang tight. Okay. I think it is in Mark's record, but I'm not sure. The Pharisees, when they got so incensed and so mad about the, uh, the, move, the spiritual movement in this crowd, declaring, declaring Jesus as Messiah, and the whole crowd, the whole world seemingly going after Jesus. And as they were, as they were just caught up in this, some of them approached Jesus. And they said, tell them to be quiet. Jesus looked at them. And what did he say? We could almost do it by heart, couldn't we? If they should keep their silence, even the very stones would cry out. Wow. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, here and now, it means something different than what we ever thought it meant. There's an angle here. There's an insight contained in the word cry. How many, how many times have you ever heard, you know, um, something about the phrase, you know, um, I'm not going to let a rock out praise me? And the whole idea we have been accustomed to, um, to interpreting this verse with is contained on the fact the way we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to think that if I don't say Hosanna, if I don't say, behold, your king is coming or Jesus is coming, if, if I don't say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, if I, don't, if I don't say those things and if I don't 
praise the Lord. And if for some reason, if for some horrible unexplained reason in the earth, nobody praises Jesus anymore, the very stones or the creation is going to cry out. That's kind of the way we've interpreted that, isn't it? Well, that's good. And I think we could make a case for that. However, that is not the primary thing that Jesus is pointing to. Although somebody's going to praise the Lord. Somebody's going to be praising the Lord. Jesus is going to find faith in the earth when he comes. Please don't misunderstand me. And I'm not downplaying the idea that it couldn't be that way because it could be that way. But what I'm simply saying is that's not the primary thought that Jesus was trying to convey when he said, if they hold their peace, even these rocks will cry out. Here's what, here, here's what is, here's what I think Jesus was conveying. And it's contained, everything I'm about to say is contained in, in the definition and the thought behind and the way the original words were used containing this word cry. The, the, the word that cry was translated and interpreted from. This word is used in the book of Revelation this way. Revelation 6, 10. This is the way the word cried is used. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? That is the statement made from the voice of the martyrs that were being spoken out of and cried out from underneath the altar as they were awaiting the judgment of God Almighty upon the face of the earth and its inhabitants. And as particularly those who have taken innocent blood. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to hesitate? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to wait to execute judgment on those who have killed your people, who have stood, um, who have stood up for the faith in God and been executed or persecuted or suffered or bled and that sort of thing? How long, O oh Lord, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do this thing? It's the voice of vindication. It's the voice of justice. It's the voice of questioning how God honors the blood. And especially the faith of those who have willingly let their blood be shed and stood up for something. God, that is, in the face of overwhelming odds and personal loss and pain. You know what that means? <laughs> What that means is, if those people at that point in time had not done this, then the very places, the very rocks under the feet of Jesus, those to the left, those to the right, those upon all of the mounts of Jerusalem, all of the hills of Jerusalem, all throughout Israel, if they had not been proclaiming and giving honor and glory to the Lord, proclaiming Him to be Messiah, and all these things, if they had not been doing what they were doing and saying what they were saying, then the rocks there would not cry out, Hosanna. Behold the king. What they would be doing, they would not be addressing the crowd. Their voices wouldn't address the crowd like the voices of the kids and the, and the Lazarus crowd. They were addressing the people gathered around and about, scattered all over the place. If they were not doing that, then the rocks that were there would lift their combined voices up to God and say, how long are you going to wait? There needs to be vindication for the blood, the innocent blood that's been shed all the way from Abel up to this point in time. How long are you going to wait? If it's not now, when will it be? Because all of creation, all of humanity, everything about life on this earth that had faith was looking for the moment of Jesus Christ coming into the earth to go to the cross to make sacrifice and vindicate 
all that. And if it was not recognized and Jesus' life was not honored and recognized and his death, burial, and resurrection honored and acknowledged, then something would have been wrong. And even this creation would have cried out to the God of glory, justice, vindication, answer us now. Because creation itself recognizes and knows that in the covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it was about the blood. It was about faith. It was about obedience. It was about the eternal promises of God. I'm going to take care of this and make everything right. And now was the time. Now was the time. It's interesting, isn't it? See, that's what this is about. Whenever he looked and he said, if they would remain silent, even the rocks would cry out. But the, the crying of the rocks and the voice of these people would be in two different directions, encompassing two different things. Yeah. Wow. Um, chapter Matthew 21, verse 10 says, And when he had come into Jeru Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And in my Bible, it says in the footnotes there, that word moved is like an earthquake. So, if the voices of the people had not moved like an earthquake, the rocks would have done it. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Do you know what that does for me? First of all, it makes me very humble. It gives me a sense of humility and awe and appreciation about the grace of God that it just kind of takes you to another place. That's what I'm trying to say. And just once again, it, it underlines the inexpressible value that God places on the blood. Not only the blood of Jesus, but the blood that we shed in our lives based on the faith in God's promises that he will avenge and he will get the victory and he will not let any wrong go unpunished. I'm telling y'all, it's absolutely overwhelming the value that God places on blood. And all this was done as Jesus was taking his final steps toward the cross. Everything accentuates the value and the inexpressible price and result that Jesus accomplished through the shedding of his blood because God honors blood that much. It is all about the blood. And Jesus was going into Jerusalem in a way that even the devils in hell didn't expect. And you can bet one thing, although the disciples didn't know what all this was about, you can bet all hell was put on notice that day. Not only is he coming, he's here. He's, he's here. I cannot imagine how weak need the demonic world was that day because of the declaration of these children and men and women 
It was at this moment that I believe, this is me, you can believe what you want to, but, but after reading what I've read today and, and this morning and looking at this thing, uh, I just think hell knew this thing was over now. There was nothing they could do to stop it. And literally, because hell couldn't stop it, the entire world has went after him. <laughs> so if you're here today, you've never, uh, you've never been saved. Today's a good day. You just repent and be saved. Today's also a good day to uh, be delivered. Hosanna, be delivered. It's a good day to just allow the Lord to strip you of some of your junk and just uh, let him trample all over it <laughs> underfoot. It's also a day for victory. It's a day for you to have victory and let it be settled in your life. So I'm going to pray. And uh, if you need those three things, you come. We'll pray, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, these, these are not just words on a page. These are heavenly lightning rods. It's, it's heavenly bolts of lightning. It comes from sure place, heaven. It's touched earth. And God, for people who need salvation, is here now. And for people who need deliverance, it's here now. And for people who need victory, it's here now. For people who need the blood, it's here now. And so God, as you are working, and I know you are, as you're working inside the spirits of every single one of us, I speak with you to their spirits. Say, rise up, be strengthened, and be encouraged because there's nothing that Jesus would put outside the boundaries of doing for you. There's no victory. Listen to me. There's no victory that you need that Jesus cannot bring and that he will not bring. So, Father, I agree with you that on the inside... Beyond all the outside coverings, I agree with you that on the inside today, even though someone may not be able to express it or vocalize it, read the hearts and meet all these needs that we have. There's somebody here that's sick. Right now, be healed in Jesus' name, whatever it happens to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.